0: All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, so today we've got uh, Dan Bunting with us. How are you, Dan? I'm doing really well. Good to see you. And Scott Smelser, how are you, Scott? I'm alright as well. Good to see you with you guys. Uh, we're without Justin this week, but he'll hopefully be back with us next week. So uh, we're going to continue this week doing a little bit of what we started last week, looking at some different characters and some character studies in the biblical text. And last week we looked at Thomas. Uh, This week, I want to look at uh, one particular guy that shows up in a relatively short story, but it's a pretty impressive story, what happens, kind of unique in what happens with him. Uh, It's the Roman centurion in Luke chapter 7. So we're going to read that story uh, here in just a minute. But what I think is really impressive about this story before we read this um, is what we learn at the end of the story, kind of what happens uh, and how Jesus perceives this, this event. Uh, We learn in this story, Jesus marvels at something in particular about this man. Um, And I think it's really cool that there's a lot to learn. It's a really cool idea uh, to think about, you know, Jesus marveling. Uh, It's actually, um, when you read through the Gospels, uh, that's a word that shows up quite a bit, or at least an idea that shows up quite a bit, uh, people marveling. Uh, And most of the time in the Gospels whenever someone marvels or they're in awe of something or they're really astonished by something it's whenever people are coming around Jesus and they're amazed at Jesus They're, they're amazed at his teaching or they're amazed at the miracles that he's performing or whatever. Um, But there are only two times in the Gospels when we learn that Jesus marveled at something when he was amazed at something. Um, And I think that's really fascinating for Jesus to be amazed at something or marvel at something um, because he's the creator uh, of the universe. He's eternal and forever. Um, You know, he's, he's seen everything um, probably multiple times. Um, And, uh, you know, he's looked on the earth from the beginning and uh, still, in this particular instance, Jesus marvels uh, whenever he sees the actions of this, this Roman centurion. Um, so um, I think this is really impressive. Um, maybe we should just read the story first, and then we'll go back through and kind of notice some different things. So do any of you guys want to read the story in Luke 7? Yeah, I can read it. I'll
1: start reading in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. After he had ended all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a slave who was dear to him, who was sick and at the point of death. When he heard of Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well.
0: All right. So the thing that makes Jesus really marvel about this guy in uh, verse nine is what Jesus says. He says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Uh, It's the man's faith that really catches his catches Jesus's attention. Um, and um, that's actually an interesting kind of point. The thing that makes Jesus marvel is the is the great faith of this man. Um, I said there are two times in the Gospels where Jesus marvels. Do you guys know uh the the other time when it says that Jesus marveled? I can't remember for sure, but I think he's marveling it's some stupid behavior if I yeah.
1: Is it is it at his hometown he's marveling at their unbelief
0: there yeah yeah In mark chapter six whenever Jesus goes to Nazareth and they they don't believe in him they say this is just the carpenter's son and says Jesus marveled at their unbelief so the, the two times that Jesus marvels in the gospel are either at somebody's great faith their great belief or their outstanding lack of faith, um, their, their great unbelief. Um, but that's what Jesus is really focused on, really interested in, that, that really catches his attention. I think that is a lesson in itself, uh, what Jesus sees and what he cares about. Um, but there are a number of times where Jesus notices faith or the, the faith of people or the lack of faith of people, but it doesn't say that he marveled uh, at their faith. Um, in fact, in um, in Luke chapter five, just a couple of chapters before, Um, the paralytic is brought to Jesus, um, which is a pretty popular story. Maybe a lot of our audience knows that story where this guy's paralyzed and his four friends bring him to Jesus, but they can't get in the house because it's so crowded. And so they get up on the roof and let their friend down through the roof. And it says in that story that Jesus, when he saw their faith, said to the man, man, your sins are forgiven. So he sees their faith, but it doesn't say he marveled at their faith. And I don't know. uh, Maybe that's um that's a little bit curious to me like why is jesus so impressed with this man's faith in particular but other people's faiths he he appreciates that he notices that but it doesn't say that he marvels um and so i want to talk about that kind of in this in this story and maybe give a couple of thoughts and get your guys thoughts on that um as well but before we look at that that particular thing about this man there are a lot of really fascinating things and good lessons to learn from this guy, things to emulate and things to see about what kind of person the Roman centurion was. So what what do you guys see in the first 10 verses here uh, or in this story that are good qualities or good things that really stand out about the Roman centurion?
1: Well, he really steps up as a man who cares for the for the little people. Um, though that's what all of his interactions are he's I mean by nature of his position and he even talks about his authority and demonstrates how much power he has he says something and people jump to it Uh, but he's uh, compassionate for a servant for this slave in his household Um, he is interested in getting help from lowly Jesus although Jesus is pretty high he might have been You know, Jesus was just a Jewish person beneath a a Roman ruler or a centurion. He sends local elders to do the request. Instead of using his own authority, he uses the credibility or the authority of the elders. Um, He stops Jesus from even coming to him, saying, I don't even presume to have you come to my house. And so, on so many different levels, and with all these different people, all the less important people are lifted
0: up by him. Yeah, yeah, you really see his kindness and and how he feels about people uh, throughout the story, and particularly with his servant, um, a centurion is a guy that's over a lot of different men, uh, he has a lot of things on his plate, he's a pretty high Roman official, but he's still concerned and cares about even the lowliest person in his house, uh, when that when that servant is sick, he's looking out for his well being and his, uh, his best interest. Um, and, uh, you know, that reminds me of what Jesus actually says before, uh, in the previous chapter in, in Luke chapter six, um, when he's teaching about kindness and love and how you should treat people. Um, he says in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? for even sinners love those who love them, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you, for even sinners do the same, and if you lend to those who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you, even sinners lend to those to get back the same amount, but you love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the most high, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Um, the, the Roman centurion Cares about people, whether he's gonna, you know, be noticed or not, or or uh, get prestige or not. That's just kind of the character that he kind of puts off, um, that he's a really caring and kind of person, but not even just to his servant, to the Jewish people at large, um, and that's, you know, what the Jewish people realize about him. Uh, he's worthy for Jesus to come, and to and to heal his servant, which is a pretty bold statement for the Jews to make. But they say the reason why he's worthy is because he loves us. (laughs) He loves our nation. He's illustrated that by his sacrifice and building the synagogue uh, and that sort of thing. Um,
2: Yeah, the fact that he built a synagogue for them, and it says, you know, he loves our nation. Uh, We're going to later, after we get done with him, probably take a look at some other centurions, and there's there's some centurions with some good hearts, Uh, but I would think the typical Roman attitude towards judea would be condescension mm-hmm. and you know kind of this trouble spot and their their hebrew superstitions and and they don't fit in with the ancient world well like like uh um Anno tacitus uh a roman senator and historian who writes about uh christians Christians and just talks about how they're they're anti-social ways and everybody hates them. Hmm. And he's got this centurion that he is impressed with what um he, he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. And when his servant that he cares about is sick,
0: he's he's he wants the prophet Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah and that shows just kind of one aspect of his faith I want to look at another thing about his faith that's really impressive but in uh what is it in verse three um it says when the when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to go and and ask him to come um i I get the idea from that that the centurion had not met Jesus before or seen jesus before uh or or personally interacted with Jesus before he just heard about the things that Jesus was doing, but he was humble enough and had enough faith to believe that what he had heard Jesus had done to other people, he could replicate with his servant. Um, and that's really impressive. That's really cool. And really, we're in a similar type of situation. Yeah. Um, you know, none of us have seen Jesus face to face in the way that the people in the first generation have. So what do we do? Um, well, hopefully the same thing that the Roman centurion does. We We hear about what Jesus has done, and the witnesses that have confirmed what he's done to me, and so I'm going to believe and ask him to do the same thing in my life, um, because I, I believe that he can if he did before. Um, that's kind of what he starts off doing.
1: And what's really great about that, I'm always looking for moments in the Bible where, where we see people that, that we can relate to in that sense. Jesus looked at a guy, well, no, Jesus didn't even look at him, they never met, right, in the story. Jesus, in his mind's eye, (laughs) looks at this man and sees his faith, Um, and and it was enough to make Jesus marvel, and all the people that looked at Jesus, all the people that were in the presence of his miracles, all the people that heard his miracles uh, and heard his sermons didn't elicit that reaction, and so here we are, a couple thousand years later, um, I'm not to pat ourselves on the back and brag, but we can have faith like a man then who, who made Jesus marvel at his faith. Uh, and, and we can, we can, uh, you know, that, that should encourage us and, and build us up that we can be like somebody that impressed Jesus back then.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the last impressive thing that I noticed, and then if you guys have some of the things before we talk specifically about the, his really impressive faith. Um The last thing that I notice is his humility which which manifests in a few different ways in the story, I think, first, by who he sends to go and and represent him to jesus mm-hmm. um you know this is a pretty high Roman official, but you know who does he send to go and get jesus to come He sends the the elders yeah, yeah, some of the Jews, right um now you know you could maybe assume that this guy like he has some military power backing him. Uh, he's got the emperor backing him. You know, he could maybe get, uh, you know, his soldiers to go and forcibly escort Jesus to his house. But he doesn't do that. He he sends some representatives from the nation that he is over, uh, in in one way or another. So that's kind of a little bit of a humiliating act, a humbling act. Just just doing that. But then also, when Jesus starts walking in his direction and starts getting close um he sends out some messengers to say don't come into my house I'm not even worthy to have you to come under my roof mm-hmm. um which is kind of the opposite of what the the Jewish elders said about him they said he is worthy for you to come and do this for him but he realized realizing Jesus's greatness and and his own state I'm not worthy for you to even come into my house um which is really impressive and I don't uh Maybe this is taking it a little bit too far, but I think this is interesting to think about. I I don't have any uh, archaeological evidence for this, um, but just think about this with me for a second. Um, This is a guy that's in Capernaum. Um, From what I know about Capernaum, it's not a a particularly large town. It's not a metropolis. It's kind of a fishing village type of thing. Um, And so I, I think that would most likely cause this centurion. Just because it's such a small city to probably be one of the most prominent members of society in that town. Um, at the time, um, you know, most likely no one in Capernaum had had a higher position than him. He, he was pretty high up. I would imagine on the, on the totem pole in that yeah. particular town. And so I'm trying to imagine like what his house would look like, uh, you know, in comparison with all the other houses in Capernaum, uh, he has a lot of authority over a lot of men, a lot of Roman soldiers, um he's rich enough to build a synagogue for some jews uh so he's he's got some money he has i imagine multiple servants this isn't his only servant i would imagine he, he's probably a you know pretty nice off uh, well-off guy i'm thinking that he probably has one of the nicest houses in the town um but even he realized that he wasn't worthy or or grand enough for jesus um Which is something that's said multiple times about Jesus, realizing his greatness. Uh, One of the first things that's said about him by John, who was the forerunner of Jesus, is I'm not even worthy to untie his his sandals. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that guy, this Roman centurion, somehow gets that about Jesus. From the things that he's heard of who Jesus is and what Jesus can do, he has great humility when he's confronted with who Jesus is. Um, And that's maybe a, a little bit of a foreign idea from how people think about Jesus today. Um, Jesus is great and he's powerful and he deserves respect. And we need to be humble when coming to him. And that this guy understands that. Uh Scott, go ahead.
2: Yeah, and, and and some of the social dynamics here go more than one way. You can see how a centurion could look down on these Jews, but then these are Jewish leaders he's sending, who were people that were looked up to. Uh, and we're gonna later notice. There's an underdog theme in Luke, and this guy is an uncircumcised Gentile. But on the other hand, in the Roman Empire, he's a centurion; he's in control. And uh, so, for that's not usually where you see this type of humility come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prodigal son, when does he become humble? When he hits right he's bottom. a Jewish boy, he realizes that pigs have it better than him. Yeah that's that's when he becomes humble uh lots of times it's when the and and it it's not here that he's saying this is a man in power, and yet he has an appropriate humility here mm-hmm. yeah. that he he doesn't let his military success and his Roman status puff him up, and mm-hmm. that's often what happens. we have secular success
1: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's a good point yeah which makes it even more impressive that this guy is still humble um really cool um so so he's he's incredibly kind uh he's incredibly generous he's 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 humble you see great humility in him but even all of those things those aren't the things that really impress Jesus or make him marvel there there's another thing that really makes him marvel and I think the the timing of Jesus's appraisal in verse nine of this man is really important um it says when Jesus says I tell you not even in Israel have I found such a faith he says that it says in verse nine when he heard the things that the centurion was saying so what does the centurion say because it's a little bit kind of interesting he, he starts talking in in verse six um, what does he say that's just really impressive to Jesus? How, what does his words do? One of the first things is, I'm not
2: worthy for you to come to me, just say the word. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to throw Mary and Martha under the bus here at all. If if I had somebody sick and had the opportunity to have come, Jesus come, I'd be glad to see Jesus come. But let's contrast, Mary and Martha, when Lazarus is sick, what do they do?
1: Come here Jesus quickly and come.
2: Word and they want Jesus to come. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't make it there on time, and they what was their complaint?
1: If you'd been here on time, you could have done it. You could have saved him. And they're not realizing he still can. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and I'm not faulting Mary yeah. or Martha, but that's one of the reasons why Jesus is so marveled at this fella. Because he's got something he really, really wants done. And he's obviously got a faith in the God of Israel because he loves the nations, built the synagogue. He's he's respected by these leaders. He's sent for Jesus. But then he doesn't even want Jesus to be troubled or lower to come because he
0: knows you don't need to be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think is especially impressive about that is not only does does the centurion have enough faith that jesus can can do something that that he hasn't personally seen he has faith that jesus can do something that no one has seen um you know up until this point in the gospels um i don't think jesus has performed a miracle when he wasn't there um this is kind of a long distance miracle Mm -hmm. um and that doesn't happen. That happens a handful of times, but not a lot. Usually Jesus is there. He he touches someone, someone touches him, that sort of thing. This is something kind of a an extra level um, that no one has has seen there. Um and uh but the man still says, I believe that you can do it from far away. <laughs> uh, I believe that that you don't even have to come into my house. You can just speak it and it'll happen. Yeah. Um and that I think is the particular faith. That's what makes his faith so great. What Jesus says that, that his faith is greater than anyone been in Israel because he believes that I can do something. I don't even have to be there. And that hasn't been illustrated before. Um, yeah. There are a number of people in the Bible that that makes me think of uh, that have that similar kind of faith, a faith in something that, that no one has seen before. Um, I think about, um, abraham um whenever abraham was going to offer isaac uh it doesn't say in genesis that uh what was going on in his mind but later on in hebrews it tells us what what his faith was helping him to believe in hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 he believed that god could raise isaac from the dead um up until that point when abraham was was living i don't we don't know of anyone that was raised from the dead. But Abraham believed God could do something he'd never seen or yeah. or he'd never done before. Um, or a couple of chapters later in Luke, in Luke chapter eight, or one chapter later in Luke chapter eight, there's the the woman with the flow of blood. And she believes that if she just goes and touches Jesus, yeah. <laughs> just touches his clothes, she'll be healed. When did that ever happen <laughs> before? <laughs> but But she believes there's such great power from Jesus that even something no one has ever seen before he can do. Go ahead, Scott.
2: And even if somebody else would theoretically say, like, if they were having a discussion, do you think Jesus would be powerful enough to do it from a distance? Probably a lot of them would say, yeah. And With that somebody, voice. With that- like, I'd like him to be here. So a quick analogy. Let's say there's a doctor that you know, and he is like just the smartest doctor. Uh, he is, you know, he's brilliant. He's a world-famous doctor. And your wife is really sick. And you call him and he says, oh, what are the symptoms? And he says, oh, this is what it is. And he hangs up. Well, yeah, you know, he's smart enough. He could probably it. but you know what? If it's your wife, you'd probably say what?
1: Come anyways.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I know you're smart. I know, but I'd feel a lot better if you came and actually looked at her, if you were actually here. Yeah. So even if somebody else could theoretically accept that this guy volunteers it yeah it's like he said he said somebody no no come don't don't lower yourself to come here i don't deserve that just say it yeah it's his idea it's not just that he can accept it he's so confident in it and so humble
0: yeah 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 go ahead go ahead Dan.
1: Uh, I was just going to say we don't. I don't want to spend too long on this, but one of my favorite parts of, of, about that part of the story is that the first time somebody reads through this story, the man is expressing absolute confidence in Jesus, and he explains his confidence in Jesus by talking about his own authority. I can understand Jesus's authority because, for instance, here is my authority, and when he humbly asks Jesus not to come into his house. It's not a request, it's a it's a it's a statement. And so the first time you read through it, it hits you in a funny way. Here is a man who says no Jesus don't come here. Um I tell people what to do and they do it. Um so do it. And so it's it's so curious the first time you read through it then Jesus really likes the guy. You go, wait a minute, did he just order Jesus around? But if you slow down and look at his, he's not ordering Jesus he just says, wow, Jesus can do anything he wants. All right, so Jesus just do this. And it's almost like he really, the order is back at himself. I'm telling myself to sit put and trust that it's going to be fine, which I think your uh, example, Scott, really illustrates that. Sure, I trust this doctor, but I want him to see my wife. No, I'm going to trust so much that I'm going to order myself to be content mm-hmm. and not make this guy come to this my house. Instead, I'm going to make him not come to my house. But it, um, for new readers, this story always strikes a funny note
0: or a funny tone when you read what the centurion says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the, what's, what's really cool about what he says is it looks to me like he, he's maybe not so much Im- impressed or, or uh, attached to maybe what Jesus can do as much as who Jesus is. Um, mm. he, he really understands who he is, which is directly tied to what he can do. But okay. but that that's really what he's saying. I know who you are, <laughs> like because I, I'm a guy that gets authority, <laughs> and and I know you've got authority way greater than my authority. <laughs> um, and so if you've got that kind of authority, you can do anything. That that's what really inspires that kind of faith. The the faith that believes that God can do anything, that Jesus can do anything. Um, And and that's the faith that God really desires, that Jesus is really impressed with, Um, a a faith that God can do more than what we've personally seen or heard in him, a a faith that that demonstrates a really strong conviction that God is able to do abundantly more than anything that we can ask or think, like what Paul says in Ephesians chapter three. Um, And he can, he can do that. And we can know that he can do that based on the things that he's revealed about himself and has done before, just like what the centurion does. So I really, really like that centurion. Um, he's an excellent example of faith. The only time that's recorded for us, at least in the gospels, where Jesus is, is positively impressed by someone's faith, um, and it's because he has that level of conviction about who Jesus is and what he can do. Go ahead just, there.
1: just one more small point. Sometimes we like to point to the first few verses in Hebrews chapter 11 as descriptions for what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to believe God, for we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. And all of those descriptions, the conviction and the assurance, believing that God is and that God is a rewarder, all of those qualities show up in this centurion. He, He hasn't even, he hasn't set eyes on Jesus. He hasn't, for all we you know, seeing the power of Jesus uh, in by his eyes, but he trusts in it. He's convicted by it. Doesn't even have Jesus come to his house. Um, he knows what you were saying, Jonathan. He knows who Jesus is. He believes who he is, and he believes that Jesus is a rewarder. That Jesus, you know, blesses. That he will give these things. And so it's it's fun to use those
0: descriptions in Hebrews and marry them up with the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. So um so that's the the Roman centurion in Luke seven. Um, but we were talking a little bit before our program um about how it's really interesting. This is not the only Roman centurion that stands out in the in Luke and in Acts. So Scott, you want to talk about some some more of the Roman centurions and like why they're so impressive, what we know about them?
2: Yeah, so here is uh here is a trivia question. In fact, I don't know how many live listeners we have today. But let's take a few seconds here, and give people a chance to uh, chime in. How many centurions does Luke, the author who wrote Luke and Acts, uh, mention? And we we don't know for sure because sometimes it's in the plural, and sometimes hey, this guy's probably the same as this one. But ballpark guess. Uh, Anybody in the audience want to chime in and say how many centurions you can remember in
1: Luke Acts?
0: I can remember at least one.
1: <laughs> I can remember possibly three. So
2: there's looks like at least seven inconceivable, 11 or more
1: wow.
2: uh, with, with some of the plurals, but probably around seven or so. So let's, let's uh, take a look at them. Uh, there's this guy in Luke 7. Oh, oh and let's, let's point this out before we go through this list, because otherwise I'm going to forget. Luke makes a theme of underdogs. Now, in a lot of ways, the centurion is not an underdog. He's more of an alpha wolf. Uh, but from the viewpoint of the Jews, now they appreciate that he built his synagogue, but he's still an uncircumcised Gentile, mm-hmm. uh, you would assume. Uh, And so from the standpoint of, you know, Israel, he's an outsider. Yeah. So let's use the word outsider. Just think how many outsiders are exalted in the Gospel of Luke.
0: Yeah, the good Samaritan.
2: Yeah. Who's the hero in the story there? Not the priest. Mm -hmm. Not the Levite. It's a Samaritan. Very good. Some other so, outside. There's the
1: role. woman with bleeding.
2: Yeah, who would have been unclean.
1: Mm-hmm. And right after this story, there's the widow whose son dies.
2: It yeah, so she, and she's got no husband. Now she's got no son. So she's you know in a destitute situation. Mm-hmm. Who else? Uh, the widow with two mites yeah yeah there's men throwing in big bags of money yeah impressive bags of money and here's this little who else that day would have noticed a little old lady dropping in a couple of pennies you know to kind of illustrate the point um and and then you know the he's it's simon the pharisee's house Uh, Uh, who's who's better than simon the pharisee in that story the, the well woman. sinful woman, who's repentant. Yeah. And one last one. It opens up. We've got two gospels that tell us about Bethlehem. In Matthew, which is more of a kingly gospel, uh who who show who does who is recorded is showing up? It's the wise man or the mad and uh, man with the expensive. Mm. In Luke, it's the shepherds. Focus on who shows up. The shepherds, shepherds. Yeah. and in the in the lists of despised trades among the jews shepherds was one of them mm-hmm. uh, oh and by the way another one of the despised trades a tanner mm-hmm. uh and uh let, you know you're later gonna see simon stay peter staying with simon the tanner in fact pinnacle uh-huh. writings um the 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 thing about like leveret marriage a woman that's married to a tanner could refuse leveret marriage if the second guy is also a tanner (laughs) (laughs) ouch yeah it it says she could say thy brother i could stand but you i cannot (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's let's take a look here at some of our other centurions uh at the cross who says Mm -hmm. certainly this man, centurion.
1: Was yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to be our first Gentile convert in the book of Acts listed? cornelius Cornelius, a the centurion. There, there's some proselytes earlier, like Nicholas, who had converted to Judaism, were considered Jews, but this is big, big. Gets a chapter and a half in the book of Acts. Uh, and he was, the, and, and the angel, what had the angel said that God had appreciated?
0: his His, prayers and generations
2: yeah and then uh when the people that think that paul took tropimus uh across the little wall to the temple and they're trying to rip him apart or kill him who rescues paul
1: centurion yeah
2: centurions and then when and i would assume one of these would be the same one so this is one of the places i don't think he handed him off to somebody else Well, one of them takes him up and they are about to, you know, beat him to get the truth out of who he is. And Paul points out he's a Roman citizen and the centurion immediately, you know, respects that fact and and inquires about how wow, how do you do that? He's Roman Born. And then when Paul uh, hears about the plot against him, who takes Paul's nephew and reports it to the tribune? centurion. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Then the tribune has centurions, plural, take Paul to safety in Caesarea. Mm. And then two years later, at Cornelius, uh, and and no, not at Cornelius, at Caesarea. um, uh, Well, no, this is not two years later, after they got to Caesarea. Yeah, this is not two years later. Um, the core the centurion there charged to give Paul some freedom and visitors. And okay, then years yeah. later, Julius, do we even know this guy's name? This is the only one. No, I think there's two where we know the name. Yeah, Claudia Claudius Lysias is the guy yeah. that sent him to Felix. That's right, that's right. And then the other one who's known we know is Julius, who Paul's a prisoner on the ship, but when they stop by Where was it? Where was uh, Philip? Was that at Caesarea? Uh, All of a sudden my mind went
1: blank. Oh, Uh, I cannot remember this one at all. I know what you're talking about, though. That was... Was it on the mainland, not on an island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on the
2: coast... uh,
1: Southern coast of Turkey.
2: No, no, no. uh, Closer there to Caesarea. In fact, let's just look at Acts chapter 27 um and to uh, yeah verse three the next day we touched at sidon okay sidon so it's not where it's not where philip was next day we touched at sidon and julius treated paul kindly and gave him leave to go to Mm. his friends and refresh himself uh and back in verse one is where it says it was determined that we set sail for italy they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Augustan Band. And he also is the one where when the shipwreck is happening, what do the other soldiers want to do with the prisoners?
1: Kill them. Kill them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So they don't get away. And Julius says no, because he wants to protect uh, Paul's life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah, so that's really interesting, really fascinating that um, through through the Gospels and and into Acts, um, some of the most favorably spoken of people are Roman centurions. That's crazy. Uh, yeah,
1: that's really curious. A lot
0: of them. Now, uh,
2: occasionally, like uh, one of them says, "You know, I got my citizenship with a lot of money. You know, so yeah. I can help somebody get citizenship." Uh, and you know, they're they're not always. You know, they weren't going to beat Paul, just as Jew, until they found out he's a Roman. But in general, they were a little bit like, you know, when you call a state trooper or something. They've got a job to do. They're there to protect people and enforce the law. And until Nero gets wacko and starts killing Christians, it, oftentimes the centurion was a guy that you could count on uh, for, for some honor and duty mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and to... Like in Romans 13, you know, uh, they were in general a source of good to those that were obeying the law and doing good. Mm -hmm. And source of good evil. Yep. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So there are a lot of lessons to learn from the centurions. And then obviously, particularly uh, the Roman centurion in Luke 7, who who has that really powerful interaction with Jesus. uh, A lot of things to emulate. Um, So thank you guys for discussing that with me this this afternoon. Um, Thank you, Scott, for going through those uh, those extra centurions. Maybe we might look at some more of those maybe Cornelius. uh, He's the one that the most is said about in some future programs. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's all that we have for this week, I think. Um, So we'll wrap up just a few minutes early. But thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. If you have any other questions about anything we discussed today that you'd like us to talk about on our future programs, you can visit our website at biblequest.tv and submit your comments or your questions there. And We'll be looking forward to those in the future, but we will see everyone next week, Lord willing.